This episode of the MedBullet Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of colonomimetic agents from the pharmacology section on MedBullets.com. In this episode, we'll go over direct agonists, indirect agonists or cholinesterase inhibitors, and cholinesterase inhibitor poisoning. So starting with direct agonists, most direct agonists are resistant to acetylcholinesterase. This prevents breakdown of the agonist and increases cholinergic effect. Now let's talk about specific direct agonists, their uses, and mechanism of action. Methacholine is a challenge test for bronchial airway hyperactivity slash asthma. The mechanism of action is rapid onset of contraction of smooth muscles in the airways, and they also increase tracheobronchial secretions. Keep in mind that methacholine is slightly resistant to acetylcholinesterase. Moving on to pilocarpine, this is used for management of glaucoma. The mechanism of action is to contract the pupillary sphincter, causing meiosis, and also contracts the ciliary muscle, which causes improved accommodation. Pilocarpine also lowers intraocular pressure by reducing the resistance to aqueous humor outflow. Pilocarpine is also resistant to acetylcholinesterase. Moving on to bethanicol, this is used for acute postoperative and postpartum urinary retention. It's also used in the setting of neurogenic ileus. The mechanism of bethanicol is to cause bladder contractions, which initiates urination. It also stimulates gastric motility and tone, restoring peristalsis. Bethanicol is also resistant to acetylcholinesterase. Carbacol lowers intraocular pressure, treating glaucoma. Finally, carbacol is a direct agonist that lowers intraocular pressure, treating glaucoma. It's also used for pupillary contraction. The mechanism involves stimulating muscarinic receptors causing meiosis. It's also resistant to acetylcholinesterase. Moving on to indirect agonists or cholinesterase inhibitors, in terms of mechanism of action, they all work by inhibiting acetylcholinesterase, thereby preventing the degradation of acetylcholine, prolonging its effects. So now let's talk about specific indirect agonists, their uses, and important notes about each. So physostigmine is used for glaucoma, atropine overdose, or atropobelladonna, or deadly nightshade ingestion. Physostigmine can penetrate the central nervous system, and it also absorbs well on all bodily surfaces. Neostigmine is used for postoperative and neurogenic ileus and urinary retention. It's also used in the setting of myasthenia gravis, as well as reversal of neuromuscular junction blockade postoperatively. Keep in mind that neostigmine has no CNS penetration. Pyridostigmine is used in the setting of myasthenia gravis, and it also has no CNS penetration. Edrophonium is used for the diagnosis of myasthenia gravis. It's also used in the setting of ileus and arrhythmias. Remember that edrophonium is extremely short-lived, specifically a time frame of 5 to 15 minutes. Finally, echothiopate is used in the setting of glaucoma. It's long-lasting, meaning approximately 100 hours. It has no CNS penetration. And just a word about insecticides, melathion is safe in humans, but parathion is harmful, and remember that both can penetrate the central nervous system. Finally, let's end this review session talking about cholinesterase inhibitor poisoning. Cholinesterase poisoning symptoms are due to ingestion of parathion or cholinesterase inhibitors. Symptoms result from the overstimulation of systemic cholinergic receptors. The glands will cause sweating, salivation, and lacrimation. GI and GU manifestations include diarrhea, abdominal cramping, and urination. Heart symptoms include bradycardia. Respiratory symptoms include bronchospasm. 
Musculoskeletal symptoms include skeletal muscle overexcitation, and eye symptoms include meiosis. The mnemonic to remember for cholinesterase poisoning symptoms is dumbbells, where D stands for diarrhea, U stands for urination, M stands for meiosis, B stands for bradycardia, E stands for emesis, L stands for lacrimation, the second L stands for lethargy, and the S stands for salivation. The treatment of cholinesterase inhibitor poisoning includes atropine, which blocks muscarinic receptors, and pralidoxime, which regenerates acetylcholinesterase. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 24-year-old man who is post-operative day one after an emergency appendectomy is evaluated by the team managing his care. He complains that he still has not been able to urinate after removal of the urinary catheter that was inserted during surgery. Given this issue, he started on a medication that acts on a postsynaptic receptor and is resistant to a synaptic esterase. Which of the following is most likely another use of the medication that was administered in this case? And the choices are 1. Bronchial airway challenge test. 2. Diagnosis of myasthenia gravis. 3. Glaucoma management. 4. Neurogenic ileus. And 5. Pupillary contraction. The correct answer to this question is for neurogenic ileus. So this patient with urinary retention was most likely administered bethanicol, which can also be used in the treatment of neurogenic ileus. To quickly review, bethanicol is a direct cholinergic agonist that acts upon acetylcholine receptors on the postsynaptic membrane. Most direct agonists are resistant to acetylcholinesterase so that they are protected against breakdown by the synaptic enzyme. Notably, different cholinergic agonists have different tissue specificity and are used for diverse purposes. Bethanicol, in particular, acts upon the detrusor muscle of the bladder, as well as modulating gastrointestinal motility. It can therefore be used in cases of urinary retention and neurogenic ileus. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, bronchial airway challenge test is a potential use of methylcholine. However, this cholinergic agonist is not used for urinary retention. Answer 2, diagnosis of myasthenia gravis is a potential use of edrophonium. However, this cholinergic agonist is not used for urinary retention. Answer 3, glaucoma management is a potential use of many drugs, such as pilocarpine and physostigmine. However, these cholinergic agonists are also not used for urinary retention. Finally, answer 5, pupillary contraction is a potential use of carbocol. However, this cholinergic agonist is also not used for urinary retention. To leave you with a bullet summary, bethanicol is a cholinergic agonist used for urinary retention and neurogenic ileus. Moving on to the next question. A 35-year-old woman presents to the emergency department after losing consciousness at work. On presentation, she is found to be somnolent, though she is able to be woken by vocal stimuli. She says that over the last 12 hours, she has been experiencing muscle spasms, blurred vision, dry mouth, and hallucinations. She says that the symptoms started after she went on a hike in the woods and foraged from plants along the way. Physical exam reveals dry red skin and enlarged pupils. Her bladder is also found to be completely full, though she says she is unable to urinate. Which of the following drugs would most likely be administered to this patient to treat her symptoms? And the choices are 1. Atropine 2. Physostigmine 3. Pralidoxime 4. Peridostigmine and 5. Neostigmine
the correct answer to this question is 2, physostigmine. So this patient who experienced anticholinergic symptoms after ingesting forage plants most likely had belladonna poisoning, which can be treated using the central acetylcholinesterase inhibitor, physostigmine. To quickly review, the anticholinergic syndrome results from inhibition of muscarinic acetylcholine receptors. Since these receptors are used for diverse functions throughout the body, symptoms will include nervous system effects such as increased body temperature and disorientation, cardiovascular effects such as tachycardia and flushing, dermatologic effects such as anhydrosis and urticaria, bowel and bladder retention, and ocular effects such as cycloplegia and acute angle closure glaucoma. Since these receptors are used for diverse functions throughout the body, symptoms will include nervous system effects such as increased body temperature and disorientation, cardiovascular effects such as tachycardia and flushing, dermatologic effects such as anhydrosis and urticaria, bowel and bladder retention, and ocular effects such as cycloplegia and acute angle closure glaucoma. Since these effects are both peripheral and central, an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor that can cross the blood-brain barrier, such as physostigmine, should be used. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, atropine, should not be used in this patient because it is a muscarinic inhibitor and would exacerbate her anticholinergic symptoms. Answer 3, pralidoxime, should not be used in this patient because it is used to treat cholinesterase inhibitor poisoning. This patient requires the administration of a cholinesterase inhibitor to treat her symptoms. Answer 4, pyridostigmine, should not be used in this patient because it does not penetrate the central nervous system. It is instead used to treat myasthenia gravis. Answer 5, neostigmine, should not be used in this patient because it does not penetrate the central nervous system. It can be used to treat a variety of conditions including postoperative ileus and urinary retention. To leave you with a bullet summary, the acetylcholinesterase inhibitor physostigmine should be used to reverse atropine overdose or belladonna ingestion because it can cross the blood-brain barrier. Moving on to the next question. A 25-year-old female presents to her primary care physician complaining of double vision. She first started seeing double after a long day at her work as a radiation technologist. Since then, her vision appeared to worsen in the evenings. She has also felt worsening fatigue despite no change in her work hours or sleep habits. She has a history of type 1 diabetes mellitus, and her most recent hemoglobin A1c was 7.4%. Her family history is notable for Sjogren's syndrome in her mother and hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and carotid dissection in her father. Her temperature is 98.9 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 105 over 70 millimeters of mercury pulse is 75 per minute, and respirations are 16 per minute. On examination, her pupils are equally round and reactive to light. Extraocular movements are intact. Mild ptosis is noted bilaterally, but worse on the left. A visual acuity test reveals no abnormalities. Which of the following medications is most appropriate in the management of this patient? And the choices are 1. Pyridostigmine, 2. Physostigmine, 3. Edrophonium, 4. Hydrocortisone, and 5. Azathioprine. The correct answer to this question is 1. Pyridostigmine. So the patient in this vignette with bilateral ptosis and diplopia that worsens with use is suggestive of myasthenia gravis. Pyridostigmine is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor that is used in the treatment of myasthenia gravis to increase synaptic acetylcholine concentrations. 
To quickly review, myasthenia gravis is an autoimmune disorder caused by a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction against the acetylcholine receptor on the neuromuscular end plate. This leads to progressive weakness that gets worse with use because fewer acetylcholine molecules will be available for release to overcome the receptor blockade. The first-line treatment in the management of myasthenia gravis is pyridostigmine. Pyridostigmine is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor that impairs the ability of acetylcholinesterase to break down acetylcholine, thereby increasing synaptic acetylcholine levels for better signal transduction across the neuromuscular end plate. Pyridostigmine is preferred over other acetylcholinesterase inhibitors because it is very long-acting and does not penetrate the central nervous system. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, physostigmine is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor that is used to treat glaucoma, delayed gastric emptying, and anticholinergic poisoning. Unlike pyridostigmine, physostigmine crosses the blood-brain barrier, so it's less commonly used to treat myasthenia gravis. Answer 3, edrophonium is a very short-acting acetylcholinesterase inhibitor. Its primary use is to aid in the diagnosis of myasthenia gravis. Given its short half-life, it is ideal for diagnostic purposes to assess for symptomatic improvement, but is not ideal as a long-term treatment modality. Answer 4, hydrocortisone is a corticosteroid. Corticosteroids are sometimes used in the management of refractory myasthenia gravis along with immunomodulatory agents. However, they are not used as a first-line agent except in very severe cases. The patient in this question should likely be started on pyridostigmine and have her response assessed before considering additional medications. And finally, answer 5, azathioprine is an immunomodulatory agent that is used in the management of refractory myasthenia gravis along with corticosteroids. However, it is not used as a first-line agent given the significant toxicity profile of azathioprine. To leave you with a bullet summary, pyridostigmine is a long-acting acetylcholinesterase inhibitor that is used to treat myasthenia gravis. Moving on to the next question. A 30-year-old woman is undergoing workup for progressive weakness. She reports that at the end of her workday, her eyelids droop and her eyes cross, but in the morning she feels okay. She reports that her legs feel heavy when she climbs the stairs of her house to go to sleep at night. As part of her workup, the physician has her hold her gaze towards the ceiling, and after a minute, her lids become totic. She is given an IV medication and her symptoms resolve, but return 10 minutes later. Which of the following medications was used in the diagnostic test performed for this patient? And the choices are 1. Physostigmine, 2. Neostigmine, 3. Pyridostigmine, 4. Edrophonium, and 5. Echothiophate. The correct answer to this question is 4. Edrophonium. So this patient most likely has myasthenia gravis. Adrophonium administration is used to test a patient with suspected myasthenia gravis because its effect is extremely short-lived, that is 5 to 15 minutes. To quickly review, physostigmine, neostigmine, pyridostigmine, adrophonium, and echothiophate are all indirect cholinomimetic agents whose mechanism of action is inhibition of acetylcholinesterase, leading to buildup of acetylcholine in the synaptic cleft. Physostigmine crosses the blood-brain barrier, whereas neostigmine, pyridostigmine, and echothiophate do not. Edrophonium is particularly useful as a diagnostic tool for myasthenia gravis because it has a quick onset and is metabolized within 15 minutes. Sagwell reviews the workup of muscle weakness in the outpatient setting. Potential ideologies are numerous and include alcohol, adrenal insufficiency, glucocorticoid excess, 
elevated parathyroid hormone, hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism, dermatomyositis, inclusion body myositis, polymyositis rheumatica, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, limb girdle muscular dystrophies, glycogen storage diseases, myasthenia gravis, and Lambert-Eaton syndrome. After a thorough history and physical exam, specific laboratory tests, for example, ANA and TSH, electromyography, or muscle biopsy may be indicated depending on the clinician's suspicion. Kuzner et al. review the diagnosis and treatment of ocular myasthenia. A negative edrophonium test, otherwise known as the Tensilon test, is defined as no improvement in symptoms after a 10 mg dose of edrophonium is given over 3 minutes. Sensitivity is 95%. False positive results have been reported in Lambert-Eaton syndrome, Guillain-Barre, botulism, and central as well as peripheral nerve lesions. Relative contraindications to the edrophonium test include arrhythmias and asthma. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, physostigmine is used for the treatment of glaucoma, atropine overdose, and nightshade poisoning. Answer 2, neostigmine is used to reverse the neuromuscular blockade following surgery, myasthenia gravis, and iatrogenic urinary retention. Answer 3, peridostigmine is used to treat myasthenia gravis. And finally, answer 5, echothiophate is used for the treatment of glaucoma. And moving on to the final question. A 16-year-old female is being evaluated for shortness of breath. For the last year, she has had shortness of breath and subjective weakness with exercise and intermittent coughing at night. She reports waking up from sleep, coughing one to two times per month. She now skips gym class because of her symptoms. She denies any coughing, chest tightness, or shortness of breath on the day of her visit. On exam, her lungs are clear to auscultation bilaterally with normal inspiratory to expiratory duration ratio. Her pulmonary function tests, or PFTs, show normal FEV1 and FVC based on her age, gender, and height. She is told to inhale a medication, and her PFTs are repeated, now showing an FEV1 of 79% of her previous reading. The patient is diagnosed with asthma. Which of the following medications was used to diagnose the patient? And the choices are 1. Methacholine, 2. Pilocarpine, 3. Bethanicol, 4. Carbacol, and 5. Physostigmine. The correct answer to this question is 1. Methacholine. So the patient is suffering from asthma. Methacholine is a direct cholinergic agonist used to diagnose asthma in a currently asymptomatic patient. Methacholine, pilocarpine, bethanicol, and carbacol are all direct cholinomimetic agents, meaning that they are agonists of muscarinic and nicotinic receptors. Pilocarpine, bethanicol, and carbacol are more resistant to degradation by acetylcholinesterase than methacholine. The rapid onset and metabolism of methacholine make it an ideal agent to induce an obstructive pattern on PFTs in an asthma patient currently without PFT findings. In a review of work-related asthma, Joachim reviews bronchodilator response and methacholine challenge tests for asthma. A positive bronchodilator response is an increase in FEV1 12% over baseline or an absolute increase of 200 milliliters. In patients with normal FEV1 at the time of evaluation, a methacholine challenge test should be considered. A drop in FEV1 of greater than 20% after inhalation of 8 mg per milliliter or less of methacholine is considered a positive result. In an evaluation of the methacholine challenge test, 
Sumino et al. found that with a positive result cutoff set at a 20% decrease in FEV1 after 8 mg per milliliter of methacholine, the sensitivity of the test is 77% and the specificity is 96%. However, the sensitivity was lower in Caucasian subjects than in African American subjects, that is 69% versus 95%. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, pilocarpine is a direct cholinergic agonist used for the treatment of glaucoma. Answer 3, bethanicol is a direct cholinergic agonist used for the treatment of iatrogenic urinary retention. Answer 4, carbocol is a direct cholinergic agonist used for the treatment of glaucoma. And finally, answer 5, physostigmine is used for the treatment of glaucoma, atropine overdoses, and nightshade poisoning. That's all for this review about cholinomimetic agents. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 1 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.